case file number 2.10. Solving equations from the shadows. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed to several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical information related to espionage and covert action as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security for the last 10 years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector in the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So, Ymir, mm -hmm. did you ever play Mass Effect? Oh, yeah. I was uh, one of countless, I don't know, millions that was disappointed by Mass Effect 3's ending. But you did play Mass Effect 2, the one true Mass Effect. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That was actually the very first one because people told me to steer clear of Mass Effect 1 because of the uh, Mako ha. and that it would drive me insane. I didn't actually play ma much of Mass Effect 1. I uh, bought Mass Effect 2 when it when it came out. But uh, did you ever play the DLC, The Shadow Broker? I did. That was a really fun one because that, that was the one with Liara. She was, she was one of my favorite characters. Well, there was a group that called themselves the Shadow Brokers, very likely in reference to Mass Effect 2, that auctioned off some, some information that they had stolen. Huh. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Interesting. Okay. So they first tweeted out a cyber weapon auction on August 13th, 2016. How's your voting? Yeah. They reported to be tools of the, the group, the Equation Group. And um, in it, they had a link to a pastebin address with two files in it. One file was the free file, and the other file was the auction file. Hmm, okay. And it's just, you know, a tarball, compressed tarball that was GPG encrypted. Right. And they gave out the, um, the password for the free file as a teaser. <laughs> okay. And the rules of the auction were basically... Here's a Bitcoin address. You know, whoever has the most Bitcoin sent to this address gets the decryption key for this. Gotcha. The free file contained files dated from about 2010 to about 2013. So the first question that came up to me when I was looking into this was, what was the equation? Well, um, best analysis says they're a highly sophisticated threat actor that has been in operation for a fair bit of time. Um, some of the things that are attributed actually go back to the, maybe the 90s. Uh, they're definitely English speaking. They are known for doing some pretty, uh, or for using very current crypto algorithms um, and doing a decent job of implementation. In fact, uh, they use RC6 a fair bit. Okay. And the implementation code for it has a very like nitpicky little optimization one of the constants used, instead of it being a positive hexadecimal number, they make it a negative hexadecimal number because adding on some processors is faster than subtracting. <laughs> Interesting. So like whoever's doing this knows how this stuff works. Yeah, yeah. Like down to the bolts. Because first he did a, actually a pretty big report on these guys. There were targeting report in 2015 from Kaspersky uh, said that they were targeting primarily Iran, 
the Russian Federation, Pakistan, and Afghanistan, with, to a somewhat lesser degree, India, China, lots of Arab nations, even a few NATO members. Oh, okay. Now, one of the most interesting things about the equation group is that there's a piece of malware called Fanny, fanny.bmp. Uh, it was found by Kaspersky in their In the Wild collection in December 2008. Hmm. Uh, so this was before Stuxnet. But shockingly, it used one of the exploits in Stuxnet. Really? Yeah. The LNK exploit, uh, which is CVE uh, 2010-2568. It was observed in Fanny before Stuxnet was released. Interesting. Uh, also, uh, the privilege escalation from patch MS09-25 was used in Fanny as well. Um, which Stuxnet also used, but different, used a different implementation of that. Okay. I think I vaguely, like, which one was that? Was that the SMB uh, overflow? No. So, uh, so actually the, that's a different one. That's, we're getting to that one later. Okay. I, I just remember that that was like the main one we were taught to use uh, when first using uh, Kali, or I guess back when I was in school with Backtrack, uh, R3 or R5. But that, that was one of the, um, the Metasploit modules that they were just like, they, they taught us. I think we're getting to that one, okay. and uh, I got confused for a second <laughs> where we were at in, the, in, the, in, in my in my script. Um, I was like, "Wait, where are all these details?" I remember typing them all up. <laughs> so, privilege escalation from prior stuff, uh, a, a vulnerability saw, seen in Stuxnet, and in the Kaspersky write up, they were like, "This didn't look that interesting when we saw it, but after Stuxnet was released and we started looking at other stuff that had used some of those vulnerabilities, mm. this became much more interesting." <laughs> <laughs> so they have several exploits kind of built into their system. One of their layers is it was um, double fantasy and triple fantasy. Sounds like like D and D campaigns. Yeah. Um, and what these were was a targeting layer. So once things had been exploited, several of their exploit codes were kind of tied together by using this targeting mechanism and uh, was kind of a director for the second stage downloader, but it was checking to see if what they got was what they intended to get. It was a targeting mechanism. So this isn't quite the same things that we were seeing in some of the other stuff that we've seen previously where it's, if you're using a Russian keyboard, don't infect me. Right, yeah. Which was, I think, one of your episodes. Mm -hmm. It's not like that. It's not like, it's it's not a token key. It's actually active code that's like, that's, do you meet this tar these this set of targeting parameters? Mm, okay. And from your Stuxnet episode, we know that that was also part of the way that Stuxnet operated. Yeah, yeah. It had a sophisticated targeting layer. And so the equation group is generally reported as a probable NSA operation. Makes sense. So if you've read any articles about this, this is the reason why it was generally reported that these were NSA tools, is that they were equation group tools and the AK equation group is probably the NSA. Okay, I do remember like vaguely um, seeing news. Yeah, this one definitely made the news. Yeah, about like, oh, like NSA tools are for sale or something like yes. that. Well, it turns out... <laughs> The auction didn't go so well. <laughs> the auction ran for a while and they didn't get very many bidders. Uh, I, the Bitcoin address is available. And if I were a more industrious soul, um, I might've tried to do some Bitcoin and uh, some analysis to see if that wallet had been used in the blockchain, but right. I haven't done any of that before. So 
there'd be a bunch of setup and learning how all of that works before I could even start researching. So I haven't checked this myself, but based on the reporting I saw, only a few bids were ever put in. Really? Yeah. There were two at the time of the at, of the of the writing of of the article that I saw that actually reported on that. Did you did you see what was in the the teaser? The teaser had stuff that looked like it was in line with it. It had some stuff that was related to probable operations, some uh, some some stuff having to do with uh, I believe an Indian telecom and some files that were referencing the TAO, um, the TAO, uh, which is the the tailored tailored access operations okay so the the teaser actually was fairly genuine hmm, okay yeah i like i was like oh the teaser just not have like enough crap in it that would make people want to actually bid well it's possible that people didn't think that there was going to be any kind of brand new oday to drop in there hmm. that it was just historically useful stuff oh, okay i don't know it might have also been that the anonymity built into Bitcoin only works when you uh, when you can't correlate. Right. So the information would have to be both valuable to you and valuable in a way that didn't require any kind of correlation to you or, you know, being somehow insulated from that. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you get it and you have it, that's awesome. But if you use anything that's attributable well, now they know your Bitcoin wallet address. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing about the blockchain is traceability is built in. It's just a matter of attributability. Although there, before we get too many comments, there are mechanisms for dealing with that um, called tumblers, but mm, okay. that, yeah. that's an imperfect science, or at least theoretically, um, there are conditions under which that doesn't work as well as it needs to okay uh from a provability but this is not the this is not the episode on bitcoin (laughs) (laughs) um and then honestly it needs a lot more research by me i think i have a fair understanding of how it works but there's a lot more to it before it's ready for an episode (laughs) yeah yeah i've done nothing in regards to bitcoin anyway uh so after a while uh, they actually had uh, another they did another message out saying hey, nobody seems to want this. What the heck? We've tried to be good guys about this. <laughs> Why is nobody hitting us with this? Well, eventually they did get kind of fed up. And on April 8th, 2017, they had this big thing on medium.com where they wrote this whole thing as a letter to President Trump about how he's failing the people that voted for him and because you know he didn't kill Obamacare. He didn't go after Goldman Sachs. Uh, that they voted for him and they supported. Well, I don't know if they said they voted for him, but they supported him. It was a couple of pages, and it was just a bunch of Russian agitprop astroturfing stuff, <laughs> like all the stuff that was reported as uh, seeds of discontent sown by by uh, Russian troll farms. Just you know, this was just the a collage of that. Right. Stuff. Yeah. It's relatively funny in context, but generally all the stuff from the Shatter Brokers, the English is pretty good, but not like fluent good. Mm, yeah. It's a little broken, but generally generally uses words correctly and 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 stuff like that. Right. Just broken enough where you can tell right. English not a first language. Yeah. 
certain filler words and prepositions and connector words not used the same because that's just one of those things that really differs between languages mm -hmm. but they made lots of american cultural references so it's you know it's like the english isn't great but they're they definitely are plugged into a american culture american internet culture i mean heck the shadow brokers is a reference to mass effect yeah yeah exactly for this reason because of the agitprop because of the use of the language uh, use of the language generally the suspicion is that the shadow brokers brokers are russian mm -hmm. so in that at the very end of that whole letter was the password to the auction file oh really oh yeah oh, so they, they just ended up giving it away <laughs> they ended up giving it away you can go and get the contents it's on the internet interesting so in there, there was uh, there was a bunch of little tools and exploits and files and stuff. There was a bunch of of references, more references to the tailored access operations, uh, which is a known NSA group. Mm -hmm. There was some stuff uh, showing data detailing that the Pakistani GSM network was hacked. Oh, okay. Like they definitely had that. Um, there were some request one request tool that was looked at. Uh, added some artifacts, the language localization, so that it looked like it came from China. Interesting. Had a bunch of IP addresses, domains, um, some credential stuff in there, just, you know, a, a bunch of different stuff. But the, the, the important thing is that it wasn't just like one set of things. It was kind of all over the place. There was a bunch of different tools for a bunch of different stuff. Right. And a lot of groups, at least on a per campaign basis, tend to be fairly directed into one class of exploit and tools. They, they have like one method or one family of methods that they just bang the heck out of. Yeah, yeah. And this was just kind of everywhere, which that kind of polyglot thing, either you're a great scavenger, the level up from the script kitty where you get tools from everywhere and you know how to use all of them, even if you're not necessarily innovating. Right, yeah. Or really big uh, staff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this didn't detract from the assumption that the equation group was probably the NSA. Um, <laughs> so this was on the 8th of, the tw of 2017. Um, their next post was only about a week later, uh, April 14th, 2017. Uh, they posted a link to the uh, Steam blockchain that contained a link to a few more linked files with a password of re r e e the well-known uh, anger. Yes. Um, so this included several toys and, and exploits, like several of them. But the one you probably heard of, the one you probably were talking about earlier, was Eternal Blue. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> So Eternal Blue was a, an exploit to SMB version one, allowing remote code execution. Mm -hmm. Now it should be noted that A, the disabling SMB v1 was a common, if not universal, probably not universal, but it was, it was, it was common to disable that as a GPO at that point in time. Right. Not everywhere, not every enterprise, but at the enterprise level, if you had a, a, a good solid team, chances were pretty good that you that that you were disabling SMB v1. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes even if you knew about the various problems with SMB v1, you still had it enabled because backwards compatibility. I know that one of my customers 
uh, when we actually uh, showed the, the use of SMBV1 on their network, um, they told us why, which was that their network cache storage didn't talk SMBV2. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have a lot of tools kind of like that that require older versions of. Yeah. So, like, sometimes you're pretty invested in something that you just can't change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. It was, it was a pretty new investment for them too. I, that was the what really surprised me. This wasn't like a legacy boat anchor. This was actually a pretty new investment for them. Anyway, uh, so this was CVE 2017-0144 and was patched by Microsoft in the March 2017 Patch Tuesday. So just a month before this was released, somehow Microsoft patched it. <laughs> and it's an SMBV1 vulnerability. So it's been around for a while. Yeah. So it was O-Day, or it would have been O-Day had it not been patched like that. Mm -hmm. It suspected that the NSA tripped off micro tipped off Microsoft about the vulnerability, knowing that their tools had been compromised based on the previous auction. Okay. Yep. Now, I don't know if they had any other intelligence about exactly the dates that this was going to happen because it would have absolutely had to happen to, I mean, just by the calendar before the shadow brokers released the password for their auction file, but they would have had plenty of time because the, the original release of the first tweet was August 13th, 2016. Okay. So, the timeline absolutely allows for uh, allows for that to have occurred. Mm -hmm. So, Eternal Blue, it was used in WannaCry in the WannaCry ransomware. I remember that. I also remember a lot of uh, Security Now uh, podcasts. Still, actually, up until like 2018, 2019, he was still telling people like yeah. it's still being utilized, and we still have like you know, yes, a bunch of people getting hit. I didn't see anything more recent than 2018, any, any kind of surveys later, uh, later than 2018 in my research, but the ones even then were very much talking about the fact that, that there was still a considerable number of systems vulnerable to it. Mm -hmm. So WannaCry was released uh, in May 12th, 2017. The patch was available in March. The vulnerability was available about a month prior, April 14th. Okay. So that's how long it took to get completely weaponized. And honestly, from my point of view, that wasn't a big surprise because in the big era of the SMB worm way back in the Blaster Nimda days, we kept seeing, you know, new vulnerability to worm. Like every time we saw a new one, the time to weaponization was halved. Yeah. So the fact that it took a month it's actually longer than I would have expected. I think maybe folks got rusty when uh, when <laughs> that wasn't such an easy way of uh, of getting your next thing out. Right. Yeah. So it wrecked a bunch of stuff. There was some additional reporting that this was actually part of the problem with the uh, with the Baltimore City ransomware event, but it mm. turns out that it that it wasn't. That oh, it wasn't. Okay. Eternal blue. Eternal blue was not was not actually that. This the a lot of early articles actually had to issue corrections. Okay, because yeah, like they kind of happened right around the same time, right? I believe that the I believe that the Baltimore City thing happened in 2018. It was uh, May 2019, actually. Oh, okay. More recent than you thought. Um, so, one of the first questions 
that apparently a lot of people asked on who done it was was it Snowden? Mm. But as it turns out, some of the dates on the files that we have are after Snowden already left. Oh, okay. But still, an insider threat was suspected. A lot of people's most likely candidate is a guy named Harold Martin III, uh, who was a former contractor at Booz Allen Hamilton. Hmm. And he was arrested on October 2016. And he worked in that tailored access operations group at the NSA. He had served as a Navy lieutenant, uh, got some graduate degrees in InfoSec, not a shocking um, resume for somebody who was doing that, but he had a habit, uh, or well, I, I'm supposition to say he had a habit. He had 50 terabytes of classified information. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was seized. He, this is not allegedly, he pled guilty to this. Okay. In December, 2017, he pled guilty to willful retention of national defense information in a court of law. And uh, honestly, <laughs> almost regardless, he, I think he may, may have gotten off a little light considering. Hmm, yeah. Because all of these tools are very likely considered top secret level stuff. This is not part numbers for things. This is actual, st- I mean, heck, we, we, we saw Wanna Cry in Eternal Blue. We saw real world impact of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the any argument of whether or not it was, uh, I believe the quote is, grave threat to national security <laughs> it, it can be objectively argued against. Yeah. And in July of 2019, he was sentenced to nine years in prison. Now, there was no accusation in any of the court documents or anything like that, or any reporting that he got paid by the Russians or anything that so there are no espionage charges against him the story of of how that might have happened is that he was compromised or something or or like he had a laptop that was stolen or something like that yeah now i'm not sure how much veracity there is to that because it it has been reported that of that 50 terabytes he looked at almost none of it after acquiring it oh really yeah huh okay so the other theory is that so these attackers, they're going to be assuming that they're the NSA. They're not going to stage it from NSA data centers, right? Right, yeah. Exactly. They're going to stage them in networks all over the place and attack from not the NSA. So the other theory is that some is that one of those edge servers got compromised one way or another. Hmm, okay. I personally believe that the shadow brokers are one of the associated Russian intelligence operations. Right. Again, this is my opinion, and I don't have any special knowledge other than what I was able to get from a few hours of Googling. But uh, I believe that this was a little bit of a thrust parry kind of thing between US intelligence and Russian intelligence in cyber war stuff. Assuming that the shadow brokers got this stuff, this would be in line with the kind of things that Russian intelligence would do. They would would seek to discredit if they couldn't use it. Mm -hmm. But uh, one thing that's a little weird is we suspect WannaCry came from Russian or from a Russian origin. And if that were true, then why are we looking at a timeline that says that 
the tools in there weren't used until after the release, the public release. Yeah, yeah, that is very odd. But uh, we also know that there's a lot of factionalism within the Russian intelligence, internet intelligence apparatus. Uh, and I'm, that's another one I kind of want to do an episode on, but the research and reporting on that really requires a lot of research. Uh, I've seen a couple of talks about it, and all I know is that, man, do I not know enough to even start. <laughs> so, uh, and then after that, we really haven't heard anything from them since. This was their whole thing. Find it pretty interesting that they did the public auction and they didn't get very much out of it, considering that we're told that there's an active market for real exploits in the dark web. And yeah. You would have expected this the, that them to be able to turn this into real money uh, if that's if that was their goal. Yeah, it's almost like a lot of people looked at that and they were like, yeah, "That that's bait." <laughs> not, not even going to like go for that. Yeah, that's a very good point. That the other side of this is being able to uh, to establish veracity. Possibly having a trusted broker and not a shadow broker is really important to making so- to pulling something like this off. Yeah, very true. I, I'm still going to go with that. Uh, this is actually an AI giant beetle looking creature and that the Reapers are coming soon. You might have been playing a little bit too much WoW. <laughs> Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs 1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon.